A sermon in a sentence. I'm not good at that. (laughs) Typically, when I try to come up with a sermon in a sentence, it becomes a sermon in a paragraph. Anybody feel my pain on that one? Preachers? No? You're lying. So this morning I decided, you know what, instead of a sermon in a sentence, let's have a, a sermon in an experiment, a sermon in a children's game, and a sermon in a commercial. <laughs> let's do that. I'm much better with metaphors. I'm a revelation guy. It's the way I work. Um, <laughs> in case you don't know, this is called Newton's Cradle. It was developed by Sir Isaac Newton, where he was trying to wrestle with the way in which energy passes from one object to another. And so what you have is you have these five metal objects and they're suspended in midair. And if you take the energy from me and put it on this outside metal object and let it go, the three middle ones stay somewhat stationary while the other outside one begins to mimic the initial motion. And this is my sermon in a sentence. Yeah, No, no claps for that, that's okay. Don't, don't, I'm not pandering. It's okay, only clap if you feel compelled. Okay, Hunter Jones, I thought I saw you in here. Come up here. Yeah, there he is. He's not afraid of a stage. Hunter, the pressure's on, my friend. Okay. Do you know how to play Jenga? Oh, do I? Oh, do, do you? Sure. Okay. It's not even really well set up, but that's not the point, Hunter. Okay. Jenga, 54 blocks. There's only 51 because I was missing one. (laughs) Three rows of 18. Okay. Okay. Three rows of 17. Okay. Uh, Perfectly precision, well done wooden blocks. Okay. The goal is this. You take one out and you put the one on top that you take out. Don't knock it over. But because we only have like 30 seconds to do this, uh, we're only going to do the bottom two rows. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? You go first. You looked really excited, though. It was. It's not just my sermon, Hunter. It's our sermon, hey, friend. Not to be served, but to serve. Not to be served, but to serve? Okay. You're going to Jesus juke me on this. All right, fine. Then I'm playing to win, brother. All right. Okay. Here's mine. Uh, uh, oh. Only the bottom two rows. That's all you can do. Whoa. Oh, I got to move though. Oh, that's cheating. Nice. Well done. Okay, Hunter. Okay. So you got to play the wind. You got to, you don't want to, oh, oh. Tried that one. See, I don't know if you knew this, but this is how you get a PhD. (laughs) I guess you get it. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. The honorary PhD. Sermon in a sentence. Uh, let's do a sermon in a sentence through a commercial. Watch this ridiculous commercial from DirecTV and go. When your cable's on the fritz, you get frustrated. When you get frustrated, your daughter imitates. When your daughter imitates, she gets thrown out of school. When she gets thrown out of school, she meets undesirables. When she meets undesirables, she ties the knot with undesirables. And when she ties the knot with undesirables, you get a grandson with a dog collar. Don't have a grandson with a dog collar.
Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Sermon in a sentence. Okay? <laughs> Some of you are like, what is wrong with this long-haired hippie? <laughs> he goes to the administration building and he comes back completely a ne'er-do-well. Okay, well, um, here's the point. Um, I'm not going to tell you it yet. You got to wait. What would be the fun of that? I mean, I gave you the sermon in a sentence. It's just that I didn't tell you the sentence. We'll get to it, though, I promise. We'll get to it. This is what I want to say, though, at the very beginning. Um, I love the church. Desperately, deeply. I love the church. And don't get me wrong, I mean, the, the church hurts people. And I hate it when the church does that. I hate it for the person and I hate it for the church because the church is not being who the church knows that it is. Because for 2,000 years, the purpose and the movement of the church has been to heal a broken world, not break people. For 2,000 years, the church has been marching in the name of Jesus because of the power of the resurrection to heal a desperate and dying world. And you can see the evidence of this all over. Whether we're talking about hospitals that heal the diseased or, or education that gives dignity to the forgotten or fights for peace that bring the love of Christ into the depths of pain and suffering for 2,000 years. The beauty of the church has been found in its ability to heal a dying world through its war against sex trafficking, through its struggle against poverty, through its march against segregation. The church has been using the resurrection as a weapon to bring life where there is death, to bring healing where there is brokenness, to bring forgiveness where there is sin. And the only thing that can mess up the beauty and the power of the church is you. And me. Our sin. Because there's something embedded in an experiment, in a children's game, in a dumb commercial, that is deep biblical truth. And it's this. Sin is never individual. It is always communal. Always. Your sin doesn't just affect you. And my sin doesn't just affect me. Sin is always communal. It is never individual. Not once. No matter how small the sin or how big the sin, it is never just an individual something. It is always a communal something. And some of you don't really like that I'm saying that. Listen here, Shane, my, my sin's mine. What I do is just between me and God. No, it's not. <laughs> Listen, Satan can be called a lot of different things, but stupid isn't one of them. He's just not stupid. Ah, he's shrewd. So incredibly sly. Satan very rarely yells. He very rarely shouts. He just whispers these words to us that then eventually we begin to, like Newton's cradle, repeat. 
You're all alone. No one's going to fight for you. So you better fight for yourself. Hit them before they hit you. Hate them before they hate you because you're all alone. So you better be true to yourself. Follow your own heart. Because no one's going to protect you. No one's going to fight for you. You do whatever it takes to take care of you. It only affects you. Sin, though, never only affects you. It affects everyone, and you know it. Sin never just affects you. It affects everyone, and you know it. Come on. You know that the drunkenness of your dad didn't just affect him. It affected everyone. You know that the materialism of your mom that was dedicated to work more than she was to you didn't just affect her, it affected everyone. You know that the suicide of your friend didn't just affect them. You know that the lust of your partner didn't just affect them. You know that the arrogance of your professor doesn't just affect them. Sin is never individual. It is always communal, and you know it. That is, until it applies to you. Then we come up with all kinds of weird ways to make sure that it, that it doesn't actually affect everyone else. It's just my sin, just between me and God. I'm just going to go into a closet and confess to him and, good, do that. But that's a lie from the pits of hell. It doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone. That's what James says in James 4. James 4 begins asking this question to the church. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Disunity in the church. Do we need any testimonies? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Here's his answer. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Did you catch that? The external division that breaks our church, where does it come from? That war with sin inside of you. So then he goes on and gives a couple examples. You desire internal, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you, you quarrel and you fight. What's James saying? He's saying this. Sin is never individual. It is always communal. Your sin doesn't just affect you. My sin doesn't just affect me. For sin doesn't belong to the individual. Sin affects the entire community, even if you can't see it. Several years ago, um, I, got, I, I got involved in a group called Black Box International. Ever heard of it? Yeah. Their office is housed here on Ozark's campus, third floor missions building. It was started by our very own Wade Landers. And Black Box exists to deal with young boys caught in sex trafficking, to give them counseling, to give them healing, to teach them the re resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. They're attacking sex trafficking by asking this question, how do we change the story? Because the story must change. 
The story of these broken young boys must change. The story of these broken young children must change. And the church is the one that changes broken things. When we were kind of wrestling with where to go and and what to do and how deep is this problem, researching and asking these questions of, of how is it possible for a person to get to a point where they will rape repeatedly or sell repeatedly a six-year-old boy. And this isn't just an isolated problem. We found this in India, Haiti, the DR, in America. It happens everywhere. But how does this happen? In our own research and in partnering with other groups like Unearthed, we made a connection that is a little uncomfortable. A connection between, a direct link between the money, the supply, and the demand of the pornography industry is what fuels sex trafficking across the world. The money, the supply, and the demand of pornography websites. It's just between me and God, just between me and my phone. It's just my sin. No, what you do late at night in your dorm room, on your phone, or on your screen of choice doesn't just affect you. It affects young boys and girls across the world that are caught up in a system that is fueled by the pornographic industry. Whether you see it or not, your sin isn't just yours. It doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone around you. It's one of those things where I say, okay, if you're really, really passionate about justice across the world, here's something very simple that I'll tell you. Deal with your sin. You wanna help children in sex trafficking? Accept this truth. Sin is an individual, it's always communal. And it's not just found in James 4. This is Matthew 18, this is Genesis 7, this is Acts 5. Over and over and over and over, the Bible is saying the same thing to us. Sin is never individual. It is always communal. So here is my sermon in a sentence. Here is my challenge. Stop sinning. Stop it. Knock it off. First time I said that publicly, the audience laughed at me. I said, stop sinning, and immediately it was, (laughs) and it struck me, I was like, oh my gosh. We have so wed ourselves to sin that we don't even think it's possible to be alive and to not sin. We don't even think it's possible. Matter of fact, for a lot of us, it's this. To be human is to sin. Now, I agree with Romans 3.23. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But I disagree with that definition of humanity. Because if that's the definition of humanity, then Jesus was never fully human. And that's a problem. Those of us that claim the forgiveness of sins through the fully human and fully divine Jesus Christ. For what he assumes, he saves. And if you have to be a sinner in order to be human, then Jesus was never human and we're stuck. 
As a matter of fact, if sin is a prerequisite to be human, then what you're saying is Adam and Eve weren't human in Genesis 1 and 2. They only became human in Genesis 3 when sin was added. And at that point, I'm going, who really is our creator, God or evil? No, actually, our problem is that we have bought into the lie that sin will always be a part of us. That we must welcome it in. Matter of fact, you have these hip preachers that get up there and they're like, hey man, you know, I'm just a sinner like all of you. So, you know, I'm not holier than you. I'm not anything. I love their heart. But here's what I'm thinking when I'm sitting in the audience. Well, that's depressing. It's like, you've been a freak about this Christian thing for a while, which is why you're on stage, but you're telling me nothing's changed about you? Really? You're just like me? Where is the hope in that? The only hope I have every day that I struggle with sin is that tomorrow I can be different. But if you're flat out saying that it will never be different, it'll always be the same, it's no wonder our society is struggling with suicide and all these reports of the medications that we have to take just to deal with our anxiety. We hate who we are, but we're told we can't be different. Here's the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me be as clear as I can be. Come as you are. A broken mess, come as you are. I'll bring all of that crazy sin done to you and by you and lay it at the feet of the cross in front of the one that has died for those sins, that has died in your place, that has died to forgive you of all of those sins, to wash you clean, to make you new. Come as you are. Oh, but the message isn't over. But don't stay as you are. That's the good news. You don't have to stay as you are. You don't have to be this broken mess anymore. You don't have to be controlled by the past sins done to you or by you. You can be set free today. Have we forgotten this? Church, have we forgotten this? You see, I wonder if we truly understand the mercy of the cross, because if we understood the mercy we receive at the cross, we would become that mercy. Come as you are, don't stay as you are. If we understood the grace we receive at the cross, we wouldn't just receive Christ's grace, we would become that grace. Come as you are, don't stay as you are. If we understood what Jesus was doing at the cross, we wouldn't just come to receive forgiveness, we would come and become the hands and feet of Jesus to a broken and dying world around us. James says it this way, James chapter four, verse seven. Submit yourselves then to God. Did you catch that? Yourselves, you, all of you. Come as you are. Resist the devil. You see the very next line. Come as you are, don't stay as you are. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now listen to this, he repeats the cycle. Come near to God. Come to him as you are, and he will come near to you. But don't stay as you are. He continues, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, for some of you, you're going, but no, my sin just affects me. No, it doesn't. And in order for you to receive the full gospel, you may need to do what verse 9 asks you to do. You may need to learn how to grieve and mourn and wail over the sins done by you and to you. 
What you may need to do is to change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. You may need to humble yourself before the Lord. Oh, but here's the good news. He will lift you up. You see, the beauty of this is that when you come to the crucified king and you then die, you will always experience not just his death, but his resurrection. He will lift you up. See, James is trying to tell us a very simple truth, but one that Satan has conveniently whispered away. Sin is never individual. It is always communal. And church, we need to stop sinning. He's one of my heroes in the faith. His name is Dr. John Perkins. He was born in Mississippi in 1930. And he grew up without a father, without a mother in extreme poverty. But at the age of 17, Dr. Perkins moved to California after his, his brother was gunned down by a police officer for the color of his skin. And while he was in California for the next 10 years, Dr. Perkins wrestled with bitterness. He wrestled with hatred for white people. But then in 1957, at the age of 27, Dr. Perkins said he met Jesus and everything changed. As a matter of fact, in 1960, at the height of the civil rights movement with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Perkins felt God calling him and his young family back to the South, to move back to Mississippi, to be a voice of peace, to be a voice of peace in a place of deep hatred, in a place of overwhelming violence. Dr. Perkins, when he was in the South and he was working with Dr. King, at a certain point, he was arrested with a group of his friends. And he actually told, what I'm about to tell you, he told on this stage when he was here several years ago. He described him and his friends as soon as they were in the small prison cell, away from the media, away from the eyes of the outside world. He said the white police officers began to mercilessly beat them. And he said, as I was being beaten and I looked up into the eyes of those white men, I saw the faces of demons. And he said, if I had an atomic bomb, I would set it off and kill us all. He said, and then all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me. He says, and I saw them different. He says, as they were beating us, I looked and I saw in their eyes the same hatred that I saw in myself. I looked in their eyes and I saw the same pain that I saw in myself. I looked in their eyes and saw the same sin that I saw in myself. And he said, and as they were beating me, I prayed a prayer asking the Lord for forgiveness. Forgiveness for my anger and hatred and pain and sin. And he said, and I told the Lord, 
If I get out of this prison alive, I will commit to preach a gospel that is stronger than hatred, a gospel that is stronger than racism, a gospel that is stronger than violence. I commit to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has faithfully for 60 some odd years. You see, the mystery contained in an experiment, the child's game, and a raunchy commercial is the mystery contained in the cross. It's the mystery actually revealed in the Garden of Eden when one man and one woman had one sin that affected quite a few people. But the reality is, is that the love that comes from this cross has the same power but more. For sin is never individual. But neither is the love and the grace of Christ. It's communal. And when you commit to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, sin becomes a stranger. It becomes a foreign language. It becomes something that is no longer your native tongue. Sin is subhuman. For to be truly human is to be shaped into the crucified king, to become his hands and feet, to become his mouthpiece, to become the peace of Christ for a world that is in desperate need of a church that will stop sinning. May that be a call and may we take it seriously.